Welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. This episode is a bit of a lament. Lamentation being one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. Mm, not really. I'm calling this episode, Lord, What Does It All Mean? It finds us in California, essentially closed down again for all indoor activities. There's been a lot of debate about the wisdom of this again, the positives for testing in coronavirus are up, deaths are down. So some folks are asking, why are we closing down again? Other folks are saying, great, we need to close down again. Questioning is forbidden. We are told capitalism is bad, God is bad, Catholicism is bad, as it all perpetrates racist Western civilization and their values. Now, simply, that's just not true. But, since truth is a variable these days, I could not be properly suggesting that another might be wrong. In variable truth, only I, who favor God and Western civilization, can be wrong. Just let me say that it is mind-bending. Well, at least my mind is bent. I have found myself in this last week in a search for a kind of compendium of meaning. Something short. A lot shorter than the Bible, which anyway, a lot of people don't believe in, so has to be something that would have a certain cachet to believer and non-believer at the same time. As I envision in fear and in anger generated by that fear that I might one day be subject to re-education, it's already happening to many in the far more public fora than I am in, the question becomes, is it all futile? Even when I have sat in front of the tabernacle, the crucifix above it, I have, a believer, fallen into bouts of futility. Before the current questionable, in, in my mind, closure of the indoors again, I managed to get to a Barnes & Noble to find something that I hoped would reorient me quickly, if you please, I said to the Lord. Je l'ai trouvé. I found it, she said en français, Victor Frankl. He was an ordinary, extraordinary man, a psychologist by training, who spent three or four years in various concentration camps during World War II. Now, there was a dictator, old Adolf Hitler, demonizing a group, you know, he did. Then the people demonized that group. The new and variable truth was upon them but it was enforced by the dictator Hitler and the people who followed him. And that group, in anyone who vaguely supported them, they were marched to torture and death. Dr. Frankel wrote a book in 1946, just after his liberation from the fullness of the torture, but somehow surviving himself, about his and about man's search for meaning. That, of course, is the name of the book, Man's Search for Meaning. I had read it as a teenager or a college student. Probably I still have my original copy somewhere in my library, but I needed it now. If this man could find meaning in the most extreme of circumstances, surely he could remind me and others where to find it 
as we wend our 21st century way to another cataclysm of man oppressing man. It's not that bad yet. It's possible that with God's intervention, if he is so inclined, it won't get that bad, as bad as it was in Frankel's time. What's happening? As isolation and a particular uncertainty are oppressing us during this time of coronavirus. We have gone from trying to implement ideals, among them e pluribus unum, one out of many, which as a people we have struggled to perfect, despite our human frailty, so much so that human beings died for it and for the liberty and opportunity of all who come here to live. Falling back on a false, corrupt ideal. The idea that one's identity and value is based on the happenstance of race. And we are devolving into a barbarism, much of it verbal, but a lot of it becoming physical. This attitude and then how we implement it is what gets us into trouble over and over again. Among the things that Viktor Frankl learned from the experience in the concentration camp is that, and this is a quote, there are two races of men in this world, but only these two, the race of the decent and the race of the indecent man. Both are found everywhere. They penetrate into all groups of society. No group consists entirely of decent or indecent people. In this sense, no group is of pure race, and therefore one occasionally found a decent fellow among the camp guards. That's at page 86 of his book. Is what Viktor Frankl said in the 1940s after suffering the nadir of human abasement no longer applicable in the enlightened 21st century? Are we going to find meaning by hurting each other? Listening to what passes for dialogue in our society these days, the answer to that may well be yes. The derivation of meaning by imposing one's power on others. It's kind of a, like a theory of mind that the person says, I have suffered, and therefore I'm going to make others suffer. In my understanding of Frankel, or an interpretation of him, that's not the way to deal with suffering, or to give meaning to my suffering, or your suffering, our suffering as individuals or as groups. All of this insanity that is repeated in error after error and is percolating like Vesuvius now, is partly or more the result of our making demands on the gift of life. Life owes me. And if another is in the way of what life owes me, get out of the way or be sacrificed. I am going to get mine. In modern terms, I suppose we talk about the culture of entitlement. The one thing among many that the concentration camp experience certainly demonstrated was a realization that life owed him nothing, that he could not expect anything from outside, meaning was not something that could be provided to him. He had now literally nothing, nothing material, no power at all. Life ought not be forced into a trajectory that denies others, punishing others 
for my perceived victimization or even real past victimization just produces more victims and gives zero meaning to everything. As long as I try to take from life and command others with whatever rationalizations I can muster, there is never enough to satisfy. If my method of alleviating my suffering, existential or immediate, is to cause another suffering, I'm engaging in an act of futility. My suffering remains, and I've added another's. An example from Mr. Frankel's book. In the camps, there were other prisoners who were called capos. They did the Nazis' bidding in the camp, and so were treated better by their captors. They were often more brutal to fellow prisoners than regular guards. Says Frankel about the behavior of different prisoners in the midst of their collective victimization. Quote, Even though conditions such as lack of sleep, insufficient food, and various mental stresses may suggest that the inmates were bound to react in certain ways, in the final analysis it becomes clear that the sort of person the prisoner became was the result of an inner decision and not the result of camp influences alone. One might think that after release, the prisoners would become again kind citizens, or potentially so, but what Frankdell notes is that during the psychological phase after liberation, quote, people with natures of a more primitive kind could not escape the influences of the brutality which had surrounded them in camp life. Now being free, they thought they could use this freedom licentiously and ruthlessly. The only thing that had changed for them was that they were now the oppressors instead of the oppressed. They became instigators, not objects of willful force and injustice. They justified their behavior by their own terrible experiences. This was often revealed in apparently insignificant events. A friend was walking across a field with me toward the camp when suddenly we came to a field of green crops. Automatically I avoided it, but he drew his arm through mine and dragged me through it. I stammered something about not treading down the young crops. He became annoyed, gave me an angry look, and shouted, You don't say! And hasn't enough been taken from us? My wife and child have been gassed, not to mention everything else, and you would forbid me to tread on a few stalks of oats? There's a strange quirk in our natures that the mistreatment, physical or psychological, of me or my group gives me leave to make the inner decision to mistreat others, and I do so by pointing at the circumstances of my history. But in truth, my suffering isn't ameliorated by causing suffering, since suffering is part of life one way or the other. So what does this man of the last century suggest? He suggests that my suffering ceases to be suffering when it derives an inner meaning. For example, by virtue of sacrifice. Our fate doesn't change by imposing suffering on another. What Frankel comes to and what in a truly progressive society need to come to, if we will even survive as a society, is this. And this is the crux of Frankel's argument, his thesis, if you will. We had to learn ourselves, and furthermore, we had to teach the despairing men that it did not really matter what we expected from life, but rather what life expected from us. 
We needed to stop asking about the meaning of life and instead to think of ourselves as those who were being questioned by life daily and hourly. Our answer must consist not in talk and meditation, but in right action and in right conduct. Life ultimately means taking the responsibility to find the right answer to its problems and to fulfill the tasks which it constantly sets for each individual. Frankel did a series of lectures around the same time, the 40s, the mid-40s, which are a companion to man's search for meaning, and it became a book called Yes to Life in Spite of Everything. I suppose Camus said something of the same thing, an optimistic existentialism. So he says in this book, Yes to Life, at page uh, 49, he says, we can conclude life itself means being questioned, means answering. Each person must be responsible for their own existence. Life no longer appears to us as a given, but as something given over to us. It is a task in every moment. Although Frankel was religious, he points out that you don't have to be religious to come to these conclusions, but if you do have religion, in our case, Catholicism, they go, as Frankel says, one step further than the person who merely understands their life as a task, in that they also experience the agency that gives them the task, or that sets them before the task, the divine being. In other words, religious people experience their life as a divine mission. That's also at page 49. I guess I'm one of those who see it as a religious mission. In fact, I need to see it as a religious mission. I and other Christians look to the prime example, Jesus on the cross. The meaning of death is transformed into a profound good by virtue of sacrifice. Jesus didn't, in the face of the most despicable victimization, make others a victim. He died for the other. The meaning of life is provided by carrying out that mission, by virtue of having been given the gift of life. It becomes a sacred trust. So, for example, Bishop Robert Barron of California has summed it up in a Catholic dimension in three principles. One, Christ is the center. He's our commander in fulfilling the mission given to us by God. Two, we are sinners. We require rescue. One of the things that's upsetting in the public discourse right now is the sense that by demonizing others for the wrong of long dead people in history, there is an implicit statement that the person or group throwing labels and urging retribution have forgotten that they too are sinners. Let he who's without sin cast the first stone. And despite our sinfulness, there's a whole lot of stones being thrown. That's the terrifying stuff we're seeing right now. The third of Bishop Barron's principles, your life is not about you. And that joins with Frankel's principle. Every time I demand that to which I feel I'm entitled from another, I am never going to be satisfied because I'm looking in the wrong direction. I'm demanding that fate and other people in exactly the same position as me provide my meaning and my purpose, and neither can do that, ever. With the mental standpoint, what does life expect of me? Nothing. 
says Frankel, can scare us anymore. No future, no apparent lack of future. He quotes a part of a poem by Rabindranath Tagore. I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was duty. I worked and behold, duty was joy. There's a little bit of St. John of the Cross in that, the paradox that if I desire nothing, I will possess everything. I would be lying if I said making the connection between these thoughts, even though from the experience of a real-life man and my life and your life, it feels impossible. But what's the alternative? Repeating the catastrophic errors of the past? Making new scapegoats to replace those of other centuries? Those things will only lead to what it always does, destruction of us all. So, as Frankel says, an inner decision is necessary. Are we going to descend to instinctual barbarism, as seems to be our want, or are we going to choose to be something noble? Frankel quotes Goethe, There is no predicament which cannot be ennobled either by an achievement or by endurance. Either we change our fate, if possible, or we willingly accept it, if necessary. Another final point from Frankel himself, what gives meaning to life is giving meaning to others. That's kind of how I see one out of many, that we are building on each other's strengths. Is it too late? Are the confluences of historical circumstances and human demands of fate and other fragile human beings so overpowering that we cannot retreat from the pattern of destruction? I don't know. That, I guess, is when prayer becomes the source of, if not solace, a lifeline, a plank of wood to hold on in the terrifying ocean. What decision will I make? Will I seek to cultivate and perpetuate my human dignity by recognizing and protecting that of another? To close out, going back to Christ and his death and resurrection, what he has done what he did in dying and resurrecting is to give us again the choice we badly made in Eden to say yes to God and thus to life itself. Each of us is responsible alone for the decisions we make. That concludes today's episode. I want to do a little promotion for an upcoming episode yet to be done. It'll be the first of the interviews on this little program, Ordinary Old Catholic Me, and it's going to be with a friend of mine, who's also a Catholic, obviously, and who is also an actress in the industry. Uh, Her name is Candice Azara. She has been in quite a few movies, for example, Fatso with Dom DeLuise. She's been in many TV series, including Caroline in the City, among others. And she is interesting, funny, thoughtful, and a very active Catholic. So we'll talk about what it's been like for her as a Catholic, both as a younger person and in this current time. And I hope you will listen in about a week.